Genghis Khan, or Chengis Khan, however you prefer to pronounce it, had some pretty brutal war tactics. But did he once use biology as a weapon? How is Ted Kaczynski tied to chemical warfare experimentation? Has a biological weapon ever been used intentionally? Are either of these even scientifically practical? What was the last time chemical weapons were employed? Is the fear of biological and chemical weapons just a great premise for video games and TV? Or are these as terrifying as they seem? Shanti's here as our representative of those of you with a naturally curious mind, and I am D.R. Cox, a scientist and researcher for the last decade in regenerative medicine, vaccines, and nanoparticles. And this is Breaking Bad Science. (laughs) So, I guess, is a dirty Sanchez technically a chemical weapon? Mm, I think it's a biological weapon, actually. Um, But just to cover one thing real quick, uh, I figured out what you were talking about with dog's eyebrows. Yeah. And yeah, dogs do not need eyebrows. They evolve them during domestication because they make them more appealing to humans. Oh! Fascinating. Burn! (laughs) Who just won? Who just won? Very bizarre. I wish I'd bet money on that. Yeah, you should have. All right. So, yeah, so biological and chemical weapons. How much do you know about the practice of biological chemical weapons, you know, the history of them? I mean, so I know that really they're just weapons using biological or chemical forms of ways to hurt people, right? Like, and that, I mean, straight up. I know that there was a lot of development during World War II of biological chemical weapons. And yeah yep and um that there is a lot of international peace treaties against using biological weapons because they're kind of messed up i mean not that blowing someone up with a missile is like any better but you know burning someone's like skin off or like you know using types of gas that make people slowly suffocate to death yeah, yeah. At some point, at some point, I'd ask somebody to blow me up with a missile if I yeah. have to go through that. Absolutely, know? there it is. It it was very much de- deemed inhumane, and uh, it actually there was a lot of development of them in World War One, including chlorine yes. gas. Oh, so so okay. chemical weapons. There's probably a bit more of a history of you know world warfare as, uh, that there's an association with being utilized right things like sarin gas being used um and all sorts of you know things like nerve agents and and things like that being developed and actually utilized in legitimate warfare okay but biology biological weapons a little bit of a different story right how much do you know about those (laughs) you know about these guns over here (laughs) biological weapons (laughs) um i would think that a biological weapon would be any weapon that is a living organism that has been altered in some way shape or form to become harmful to another uh, life form so it doesn't always have to be altered as it turns out just sometimes has to be released yeah yep so i don't know do you want to start with uh just some of the the bio biological and and what some of the history there is and, and and what we do know that that it's been used for or? 
Well, all right, you did bring up the Genghis Khan. Genghis yeah, you want to start example. there? Well, like, this is your story, Dan. Like <laughs> I could tell, I could tell to tell it, but I think that it's better told by you. I mean, sure, if you want me to, but are you, do you, you do you know me? the Genghis Khan story when he used oh, yeah. biological oh, warfare? Yeah. Well, you sent me that funny animated video. <laughs> oh, on it. Yes, I did. did it is a did. fantastic animated yeah. video. That's a so, good call. Apparently, during the Black Plague in Europe, um, you know kind of touched everybody and it touched Genghis Khan's army and so what did he do well he decided that he was going to use he was going to be resourceful and recycle is the you know nice way of putting it uh the less nice way of putting it is taking diseased bodies putting them in catapults and launching them into cities in which he was putting under siege. Yeah, so one city in particular um, that he had under siege as his men started dropping dead of the plague, he began flinging them over the wall with catapults in order to infect those on the other side. And I mean, it's not like they knew entirely what they were doing. You know, I mean, I think people had some kind of an idea that a if you're around a diseased person, you get a disease. But they didn't really understand, you know, I mean, there were still people who believed they were possessed by demons and that's why they were sick and and things like that. So it's not like he truly understood that there was this disease inside them that he was then spreading to them. But he knew enough to know that putting those diseased dead bodies inside their walls would cause disease to spread inside. Whether it was the demons or the, you know, disease itself. Whatever it was. Kind of. Kind of messed up. Yeah. Kind of smart. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, there is um, actually a earlier account in the uh, from the something like Hittites, uh, the Hittite okay. texts, which uh, date back to 1500 or 1200 BC, in which there were some victims of tularemia that these people drove their entire like this population of people with tularemia into their enemies' lands. They basically just forced them probably at spear point essentially and just drove them into their enemies' lands to to spread the disease there. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Not cool. Yeah. So and, and it's interesting when you talk about the Mongol one, it, it actually so it was uh the city of Crimea or Kaffa. Um, is that, isn't that in Russia? Uh, so the thing is, it's like, uh, you know, it's probably USSR, but you got to remember the Mongols are coming from the Eastern side of Asia, right? The sort of Northeastern side of Asia. And they took over that whole area. So by the time that this happened, they were well, you know, getting into, into Europe and yeah. yeah. So uh, there is actually some belief that it started the spread of the Black Plague in Europe, that that point uh, was the 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 ultimate source of European spread of the Black Plague. Wow, the Silk now, Road was. Yeah, we we don't know whether that's actually legitimate or not, but that it could very well have been the what started that whole thing. It's just crazy. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like war. One thing about war is that, in a really messed up way, it brings people together. Yeah, and then you know, there's um, uh, accounts that that have happened throughout history of you know just using poisonous materials. You know, <laughs> so you, if you've got like a toxin, 
um, mm-hmm. something like a any kind of a toxin that you spread on your arrows, right? A lot of times yeah. those are biologically based toxins. They might be an antibody or not an antibody, but a, a protein or something like that. That's really the that's, source of that toxin. And so I take my protein shots after my workout <laughs> <laughs> by arrow. Exactly. <laughs> Get Jack, bro. No. Oh, anyway, sorry. But yeah, so those are still biological agents, even though they're, you know, they're not the organism itself. They would still be yeah. considered a biological agent because they're produced by some species. In this case, usually a bacterium or a frog or, you know, things like that. I mean, I guess one form of like unintentional biological warfare was when the conquistadors and colonialists came to the Americas and a lot of people they wiped out through spreading disease. So yes and, and yes and no. So was there a lot of biological warfare in that time? Absolutely. But that's why I say was unintentionally. it intentionally? Was it was it intentional? Also absolutely. We, it was? Yeah. So, you know, this is something that I, I don't feel like is well taught enough in school, but um it was well understood that the spread of smallpox could come from contact with people who had had smallpox. Okay. And so when Native Americans were trying to be essentially removed from the Americas, the mm-hmm. U.S. government gave them blankets from the treatment centers of smallpox. Oh, that's so messed up. It is absolutely messed up because you're talking about a population who had never been exposed even to that disease. And so there wasn't even a minute amount of the population who had developed a resistance to it, you know? Oh, dude, that's awful. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It is, it is one of the, in my opinion, one of the worst biological attacks in history because it was one of the times that we absolutely were aware of what we were doing, even if we didn't understand the virus at the time or, or what the virus was. We understood how it spread and was and it was done on purpose with with absolute intent. Oh, when did that happen? Was that like it was that earlier on, like 60 mid 1600s or later, like early 1800s or set, set late 1700s. And um, I think into the sort of 1800s, maybe so. So technically, it's sort of this borderline where was it the U.S. government? Not really. Technically, we were still British at the time. And so it it's you know So we can we can blame the British for this one technically. I mean <laughs> it was it you know 1763, right? In the 1760s, okay. we became an independent country in 1776, right? It it was you know the the same ruling parties basically or or very similar groups that would end up taking over for the most part. Um yeah. you know obviously there were a lot of governors and things like that that would be removed because they were uh, associated with the British. But a lot of the high-end politicians at the time would end up forming, you know, what would become the United States. And they were already sort of coming into power at that time. And so I think it's it's hard to say that, that we can blame it on the British at that point. But colonization and the spread sort of westward is, is absolutely to blame. But, but it is... It is one of the worst sort of attacks. That that, is gnarly, man. Yeah. Super gnarly. So, I guess moving on from that. So, so, 
I think the more interesting stuff comes from when we did start to understand how biology could be weaponized, right? So in this case, we just use something that happened to be available and and we had some sort of an idea about it, but didn't really know what we're working with. So has, in your opinion, or, or in your knowledge, to your knowledge, has biology ever been used to attack mm-hmm. people once we had a very good understanding of what we were doing. And I'm not talking about poison darts or poison arrows or anything like that. I'm talking about like, you know, the spread of an organism that's toxic or, you know, experimentation on people for um, biological weapons, things like that. Well, I mean, aside from cooties and that, you know, it's tough. <laughs> cooties? Cooties, biological weapon. Oh, Gotta geez. get your cootie shots, man. Oh, but anyways, man. no, aside from that, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So I don't know what went down in World War One. I. I know in World War Two there was experimentation on Jew Jewish people in concentration camps, uh, for the purpose of trying to I mean, I think there were a lot of experiments done that were pretty awful, but I want to say some of them they were testing uh biological weapons. Uh I believe Kim Jong un recently had his one of his family members, I don't recall which one, had him like poisoned in an airport. Um, in bo- I, I, it was chemical, right? So in most of what you're talking about was still chemical attacks. Oh, that's a chemical. So never mind. So yeah. biological, biological, biological. Um, oh, I mean, well, dude, I guess you could kind of call the Tuskegee study a biological attack. I know that that that's another really messed up thing, yeah. and that's not like technically warfare, but it kind of was like. It was marginalizing one population. Yeah, with I mean, a biological weapon essentially. Again, it's you know a super horrific thing that was done, but I don't know if it can be considered a biological attack. You know, because um, I don't believe they actually I mean, gave the disease to those people. I think it, they already had it. They just refused right. to treat them in order to study it. That's pretty bad, but yeah. Okay, so I don't know. I mean, have we given disease? I hate to say it, but like I gotta ask about the U.S. aside at past the smallpox. Like, have we inflicted a disease upon? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I I hate to ask these questions. I'm like United States, man. More skeletons in the closet. Uh, yep. Turns out it yep. was indeed us. So first of all, biological. Um, weapons testing ha- was done a lot in- between like the World War One, World War Two era as we were starting to try to understand things, right? And so uh, World War Two, there was actually some just contaminations that happened from from testing. So uh, there was a problem in South Wales. It looks like um, I know we have we have some some Aussie listeners that we've we've talked about that before it seems like australia has been coming up a lot lately uh but th- there has been uh there was some some stuff associated with australia that i think must have been some of the british testing and and things like that but um as far as an actual oh no okay so yeah they contaminated an anth- anthrax on an island in scotland scotland they had a, a contamination of anthrax during a series of extensive tests for the next 56 years. Wow. 
was contaminated with anthrax. So it stayed contaminated for 56 years. So anthrax. Is that, chemical, is that chemical or biological? No, so anthrax is a microorganism. So that is a, that of all of the species that have been tested as far as a biological agent, anthrax has by far been the most successful because you could dry it into a powdered form and okay. then inhaling the bacteria is enough to cause the disease. Yeah, I, I remember that. So anthrax, there was some attacks during like the early 2000s, um, particularly around the time of 9-11. Through the mail. And through the mail, yeah, mm -hmm. it's messed up. And yeah. my mom's Australian. And in Australia, there is a traditional biscuit or cookie called an Anzac cookie, which has its roots in like the Australian military. And it's kind of a cool history, but my mom makes pretty damn good Anzac cookies, mm. but she brought them into school for my older brother's class during, I think the year was 20, 2001 or 2002. And she said Anzac cookies and everyone thought she said anthrax cookies. Oh my God. Didn't resonate well. Yeah, no, I bet. Yeah. Nope. No. Great. <laughs> okay. So um, let's let's talk about the U.S. and okay. uh, what happened. So it's very been very clear for quite a while that chemical and biological weapons have been considered to be inhumane and are basically considered war crimes throughout the world. Right. Yep. But in order to protect against said weapons, sometimes, you know, you need to understand them. So there was an operation that I believe the military dubbed Operation Sea Spray or, or something like that. I don't have the name of it right here with me. Oh, Agent Orange. No, Agent Orange is chemical as well. Okay. okay yeah. Never mind. Never mind. Um, but that's another one that was World War One or World War Two. No, that was the Vietnam War was when that was deployed the okay. most, I believe. Okay. Um, no, so this was 1950. In San Francisco, the U.S. Navy went out and sprayed a biological agent into the air in order to simulate, simulate what would happen if somebody tried to use a biological agent to attack the United States shores from sea like that. Was it even plausible? Turns out it was. So what they used was an innocuous organism called... What is the pathogen they used? Ah, here we go. So they used an innocuous organism called Serratia marcescens and another one called Bacillus globigi. Glo globigi? Yeah, okay. Anyway. Um, and they sprayed it into the air just to see how it would do as far as, you know, an, an, a, an agent of attack. And it's supposed to be innocuous and doesn't cause harm to humans, which is why they chose these, right? Yep. So the army determined that San Francisco had received enough of a dose for nearly all of the city's 800,000 residents to inhale at least 5,000 particles, which if this, if this had been an anthrax attack, would have basically contaminated so, virtually everybody. So it would have killed most of San Francisco, if not all. Yeah. Yeah. Got so it. the interesting thing is, turns out the species was not innocuous. Oh. So um, in very rare cases, it causes 
serious urinary tract infections, and one guy died. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, so and, – and the problem was they didn't know enough about it that they basically were able to sort of sweep it under the rug because it was a secret government test and they explained it as something else essentially. And so it wasn't until years later when these documents were declassified that they found out that this project even had taken place. And so this um, species that is supposed to be innocuous was sprayed on our own citizens and determined to actually be uh, cause illness enough for, for one guy to die to it. Were there any ever like lawsuits filed for that or any repercussion? I'm sure there was, you know, but this guy's family would be old by that point, you know? Um, I mean, the, the doc, so it happened in 1950 and I think the documents were probably unsealed. I I don't think it was until like the 2000. I think it was one of the, one of the more recent um, unsealing of documents. I'm, I'm not positive. So don't quote me on that, but I think they just didn't know about it. Damn. And this type of thing has been done before because they're trying to test, like you say, you know, ways to prevent these types of attacks. But in the end, you know, sometimes it doesn't go right. This is where it gets tough because I feel like you and I both are a little antagonistic towards kind of just the general conspiracy theory crowd. But this is where I start to feel for people who might feel a little mistrust towards governments um, because – Man, they've done some pretty messed up stuff over the years for the most part. And and this is where conspiracy theories become a problem, right? Is because in this case, you've got somebody who had a theory that the mati- that the military had done something like this. That yep. at the time is a theory of a conspiracy. And until they, you know, found the actual evidence, it was just a theory of a conspiracy. And right, and, right, right. and and in the end, it was a legitimate conspiracy not just a conspiracy theory and so the the problem of you know trying to determine when is it just a lunatic conspiracy theory and when is it you know a a legitimate you know concern for a conspiracy is hard to do and the problem is those who do find out that it's a legitimate conspiracy do so by very intense uh hard-earned journalistic research and they end up being you know people who break the most important news in the world you know i mean that that's you you're not a guy on the internet looking at some other guy's post on the internet and making a you know david ike is not you know winning pulitzer prizes because he's not breaking any actual news you know he's not doing any journalistic research Although I wonder if some of these journalists use like Reddit forums for conspiracy theories to like catch leads on something that might be legitimate. And they might because, you know, they're in in like anywhere where you have super crazy stuff. Sometimes there's a shred of truth in those things that you can find the actual interesting stuff in. Right. Mm. And, you know, this that's where something like this, with the government testing on its own people, that's been a problem. You know, it's always historically been a problem. And we'll talk about another one with the chemical attacks, right? Okay. But as far as, you know, are they using that to control their people for the global elitists? No, because there's no, you can't make that tie without taking crazy leaps. And that's where we go back to the monolith episode, where how do you prevent that huge logic leap? 
And if you can prevent that, you can prevent yourself from getting caught in these conspiracy theories. Yep, yep, yep. So I think one of the more recent perpetrators of testing on their own citizens for chemical warfare, at least, has been Iran. Iran? Iran? Iran. I don't think I've seen that. Is it? I'm pretty sure. No. Oh, Syria. You're talking about Syria? Syria? Yeah, yeah, Syria. My, my dumb. Yeah, yeah and that's not, that's not testing. That is, they have been legitimately attacking their own citizens with chemical agents. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty and messed that's, up. You know, that was one of the things that I was going to talk about as well is just how recently did, did people think that something like this has been used, knowing that it's, you know, outlawed throughout the world. It's considered an offense throughout the world. A lot more recently than you'd think, because Syria has done it several times within the last few years. Yeah, which is pretty messed up. Yeah. You know, I mean, all all, all warfare is pretty messed up, you know, but that yeah. is that's pretty harsh, you know. Yeah. So I, I mentioned in the intro, Ted Kaczynski. Do you know Ted Kaczynski's tie to chemical warfare or chemical I experimentation? Know, I don't even know who Ted Kaczynski is, dude. You got to. The Unabomber? Okay. Ted Kaczynski is the Unabomber. Do you know anything about the Unabomber or no? Yeah, they they bombed a ton of buildings and crap like that, right? No, no. All right, never mind. No, no. they do. <laughs> the Unabomber was guy lived in. They ended up finding him in a small town in Montana, and Ooh. he had basically he lived out in the woods in Montana, and um, he was mailing bombs to different people. And uh, I, I don't think a lot of people know this, but he was kind of a genius. Not as in like I'm saying he was brilliant and I loved everything he did. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying his IQ was very, very high. Interesting. Yeah. Do you know what he did before he became the Unabomber? What? Studied at MIT. Uh, okay. Yeah. And uh, at Harvard, I think... He got involved in a research program and became a, you know, probably just for some part-time money, essentially, on the side. He uh, ended up taking part in a psychology study, which I don't okay. know if we talked about this or not. Um, okay. But have I mentioned this to you before or no? No, we have not mentioned this, no. Yeah, so in a psychology study where he was dosed with LSD. No way. I I am not kidding you. Okay. And here's a term you probably have heard. Okay. MK Tri Ultra? No. You I never heard the term that. MK Ultra? No. So it ended up being um or so what MK Ultra is was the CIA's tests back in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s somewhere around there. Where they were working on like mind control and things like that. Um, oh, there was God. a movie called The Men Who Stare at Goats that was yeah. talking about Project MK Ultra. Okay. Do you ever see the movie or anything like that? No, I've I've saw the commercials for it, but I didn't see the movie. Yeah, so it you know one of the things that they did was they used LSD because they knew it was a mind altering drug. So they tried to see what they could get you know people to do by dosing them with LSD. And one of the people that ended up in that te in that testing was Ted Kaczynski. And oh, shoot. yeah, there is a lot of belief that he actually may or that some of that may be, you know, the reason 
he went so anti-government and, you know, crazy and, and started sending bombs to people. That's kind of wild, man. Yeah. You know, fun fact, there is a drug that does make people hyper-suggestible. It, um, I learned about it in Colombia, but there's like a powder people can blow in your face that makes you super suggestible. It's called scopolamine? Huh? Scopolamine? I think that's what it is. It puts you in like, a, when you inhale it, it puts you in like a super suggestible state. Yeah. So it is a, um, it's, it's interesting. Some, like it has been referred to as like the zombie drug or whatever. And yeah, it, it definitely increases your suggestibility. But huh? I mean, there's no evidence that it has been used, you know, actually like turn people to zombies and, and you know, convince them to do no, crazy but what stuff. Um, what, what, what I've heard about though is that um, if, if you're like a tourist in Colombia in certain parts, you know, people will use scopolamine on you and put you in a very suggestible state and have you walk them to your house with, and they'll usually bring their friends with them and take everything Everyone. out of your house. And you'll, you go along with it because you're in a super suggestible state yeah. and people wake up from this almost what seems like a hypnosis with in an empty apartment. Yeah. Do you know what that, this. you know what that drug it actually is? Like what it's used for? No. It's a, like a vertigo drug, like, um, um, What's the the one that starts with D is the more common version. Dramamine. Dramamine. Yeah, okay. I, I believe scopolamine is used for the same reason. It's an anti-anxiety type of thing. And uh, yeah, just in high doses, apparently it, it does increase suggestibility. Or at least they say that it increases suggestibility. Yeah. So I Crazy assume stuff, that's what man. you're talking about. I think so. Yeah. And that is, that is a chemical attack. And it w- it is banned by the Geneva Convention. So technically, not only are those people committing a crime, they're, they're committing, committing a war crime. An international war crime, wow. Yeah, if they're so if they're tourists, if they're uh if they're tourists, yeah, it's an international war crime. Bam. Yeah. There you go. Which is a crazy thing to think about that, you know, you'd be so comfortable with crime in that case that you don't even care that you're essentially committing a war crime. Uh, hey, everyone, I think some people are in a position where robbing somebody, I, if you're already ready to rob somebody, I, I don't know if you're thinking too right. much about whether it's a war crime or not. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the, that's kind of the point I was making is that that sort of concept is just, you know, feels so crazy to, you know, somebody, ra- you know, born and, and raised in an area where I, I was, you know, where you're, you're imagining that. You can go from, you know, stealing is okay to that that point where, you know, that level of it is is okay. And that's just crazy to me. It is pretty wild. Yeah. It is wild. So we got to talk about coronavirus. Yeah. All right. And I know, I know there's some people who are like still skeptical. But first off, coronavirus wasn't developed by the Chinese government as a chemical weapon for the world. It's it would even if it was it would be a biological weapon, but you know let, you're the scientist. Let's talk about this. Yeah, and and, and I think this is um, one of the simplest conspiracy theories to um, discredit, in my opinion. And that's because if if this was intended to be a biological attack, yep, then China has the worst scientists in you know on this planet and 
we know that China doesn't have the worst scientists on this planet. But but to to believe that this is a this would be a, you know created in a lab and used as a biological attack, you have to believe that the scientists created this virus specifically and were either a not capable of creating something better, or b chose not to create something better because in the end, it's wildly unsuccessful, right? It yeah. If you want to attack, you know somebody. You want to target that attack. That was not done in this case. If you want to attack somebody, you want to make it so that it's devastating to them and there's very little chance of recovery. That's not even close to have done, you know, was not even close to done, right? Now, could that have been done? Absolutely, right? That's, That's where this is so easy to discredit is that we know from our own testing that a biological agent can be spread from the Bay of San Francisco to kill basically everybody in San Francisco. And instead, some Chinese people created this and released it themselves in their own lab and didn't create something more volatile. How does that make yeah. sense? Right. What what is what is the reasoning for doing such a crappy job? If if this was actually your job to create a biological weapon and you created literally the worst one ever used in history. I mean, Genghis Khan's was more effective in the 13th century. I know that anyone who wanted to play devil's advocate with you would say, well, this was economic warfare and they could have and they somehow predicted that the whole world would lock down and somehow it made the world more dependent on China or something to that degree. I've heard that one. Before was it too. successful? Um, I, I don't know. I don't think the whole world is more dependent on China than, no. it, than we were before. No, they're not. In fact, uh, China lost billions of dollars of revenue from tourism and from because the first company or first country for everybody to shut travel down to was China. Yeah. Well, I mean, they their economy suffered, you know, just as bad as anybody else's economy. Their exactly. shutdown was actually significantly worse. They shut down everything and basically locked people in their homes early on. Yeah. So. so, I mean, I, I get that you you know somebody can believe that, but there's no legitimate there's no legitimacy to it. You, there's nothing. There's no facts to back up back up the concept. Yeah. Basically, yeah. This is just a virus that. I mean, the 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 answer that. And I, I, you can verify how true this is, but I do believe that in in a lot of um, Africa and in a lot of East Asia, there's rapid urbanization happening. And my understanding is that with rapid urbanization, uh, because you're tearing apart a lot of wildlife, because you're you're really expanding onto a lot of new land, and your systems for sanitation might not be growing as fast as everything else there's just opens a lot of doors for microbiology to evolve quickly or to jump from animal host to human hosts and um, when that happens and and truly there's could be all sorts of reasons that something like this might happen right but in the end regardless of any safety measures or safety precautions we take something like a pandemic is always there's always the risk of that happening you know it can well, always I mean, happen I, I, because epidemi- of viral evolution if i want, i want to say epidemiologists were warning about 
the danger of a pandemic for freaking years now. Yeah, and and you know, a big part of that was because so they made that there was a, a warning beforehand because one of the first things that was done in that administration was to shut down the pandemic response team. You know, because they said, Why would we have this? We haven't had a pandemic in a hundred years. And, yeah. you know, I, I mean, obviously that's a unfortunate series of events where you shut down that response team and then, you know, you end up needing it. But that's the whole reason for having a response team like that, essentially, is because you never know when it might happen. I mean, Japan has a pandemic flu program where they work on, you know, large, they have a sector of vaccines that is designed to produce basically nothing until all of a sudden they need to produce an, a ton of flu vaccine because of a pandemic flu. And so they so, create sort of like a generic flu vaccine that can be easily altered to respond to anything. Yep. And and they have all of the manufacturing equipment all up to date, uh, all always taken care of, ready to produce all of a sudden if they need it. And they may not need it for a hundred years. Well, they've also dealt with like the H1N1 virus and a lot more in, in the last couple of decades than I think we have over here in the U.S. Yeah, and I, and I think that could be part of it. You know, and you talk about China, who has had to deal with MERS and had to deal with SARS-1, you know, and, and things like that. So, you know, they've, they probably have some, some better responses to these types of things because they've had these types of uh, diseases yeah. show up more, more recently. But yeah, I mean, that's always a concern. But in the end, if you're going to create a biological attack we can do way better as a scientific community and there is very few you know scientists that are even at my level that couldn't have done a better job than than what this virus was i i can see you dan at like a convention of super criminals just giving a lecture <laughs> all right really who did this awful job? <laughs> we can you do had better. One job, yeah. As the, as the world's scientific <laughs> super criminals, we could do way better than what we did with that chemical warfare agent that we put out against the world. See, Awfully unsuccessful. This is Sorry. this is where this is where we have talked. We talked previously, and I ranted for quite a while about how like this is the reason that scientists are always the bad guys, right? You know, it's because we're the ones who can create things like this. And, you know, in the end, when it comes to this, that is absolutely the case. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it doesn't take any more scientific training than I have to be able to to put something like that together and and start to weaponize it. And, And that's why people like me, if we were buying certain things, the government would come knocking on our door because they know exactly what we would need in order to do that. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of Dan's like humble brag about why he's dangerous. You know? <laughs> yeah, don't mess with me. Because yeah. I'm, I'm, I may be chubby and unable to hit you very hard, but I guess at least I'm a scientist. Yeah, exactly. What's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing. You know, if if you were to create a virus like this, then the first thing you're going to do is create a vaccine that is highly effective against that virus, and you're going to. Um, inject it into everyone who matters in your government or that you want to keep around within your own country. Yeah, the coronavirus was a very unfortunate event. It is, um, yeah. 
largely though it showed unfortunately a, a failure of a lot of governments around the world to you yeah. know take necessary precautions yeah and that you know that's the ultimate thing that that we're really dealing with is you know we're we're dealing with a failure of authority in in a lot of different countries um and and ours is you know very much at the top you know or or near the top of that list yeah, and it's a, it's a bummer yeah well, I feel like that kind of puts the wrap on this. Yeah. Unless there's anything else that we really need to cover through. No, I, I think that's the main thing. Plus, I've got a League of Evil Evil Villains or Evil Scientists meeting in about 20 minutes. So. All right. Well, team, everybody on, <laughs> everybody listening, this has been Breaking Bad Science. Follow us on Twitter at Breaking Bad Science Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Break Bad Science. And where else are we? We're on Facebook too. Facebook, Follow Breaking Bad Science Fa- Podcast. Break, Breaking Bad Science Podcast. Check out our website, breakingbadscience.com. And yeah, yeah, check us out. Thanks, guys. This has been Breaking, Breaking Bad, Bad Science. Breaking Bad Science. Except.